calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. scam and just so you know we are scam experts we're not experts so we're doing the best we can with these scams you can't sue us because there's nothing there listen we are not journalists we're comedians yeah okay so just like think of that real quick and then just enjoy your time (laughs) enjoy your time just let us let yourself let go have fun (laughs) yeah let us tickle your ears we're fun we have an amazing guest i am so excited she is a family favorite (laughs) my husband and i love her um she is a former director of news research at the new york times so she is a journalist oh yeah she's an expert yeah she is a journalist um she's an expert on investigative research she's a librarian a teacher at CUNY Journalism, which is an amazing school. I can't say enough great things about it. Um, she's reported. She's ran conferences. She's very smart. <laughs> and she's here with us. Let's welcome Barbara Gray. Barbara Gray. Hi, everyone. I'm thrilled to be here. I just want to, we have a new name in the school, so I want to get that oh, in there. It's do. the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. All right. Thank you. <laughs> You know what? Because Barbara's on top of it. <laughs> She's not what Sue and I are going to do. So now like, some New York. School. She does her research. <laughs> do marketing, you know. No, now I. That's very great. And so, Barbara is. So Alan, my husband, worked very closely with Barbara. She helped him a lot, and um, he. Our first scam that we ever did, episode one, was our my historic scam, my favorite Marm Mendelbaum, and it turns out that Barbara is working with. A story and biography and learning about Marm's prodigy, which is Sophie Lyons. Yes. And Barbara's also writing a book on it. Mm-hmm. So biography. this is the lady to talk to. Yeah, she's a super scam artist. Yeah. So just refresh some memories a little bit mm-hmm. if they don't remember. Marm Mandelbaum started a scam school. Yes. It was like an old time old timey New York pickpocket. Yeah, and crime school. Ta- yes. Crime school. 
crime school and taught people how to be thieves, which right. we, we love. And Sophie and was one of her protégés. That's yes. right. And we believe Marm was like the first feminist because she took women out of just being servants and wives and sort of taught them how to fend for themselves. Also how to steal and pickpocket, but really just sort of how to run their own businesses. How right. to make their she own living. She was an entrepreneur. She was. Mm. It was poor and people, entrepreneur, entrepreneurism. Yes, and this was turn of the century. This was during the Great Depression, and I believe right around the stock market crash as well. Uh, no, it was the I'm lying. It was the eighteen okay, the eighteen hundreds. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Get a rip run. Okay. We yes. were close. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I don't know. Both of us were also in black and white. Both <laughs> times. I'm like, you know, old timey. That's right. Yeah. That's okay. right. So eighteen hundreds. Right. Yes. But the World's Fair was happening then. Um. No. No. <laughs> No and no. Right, I, so I am at the. I'm thinking of two different scams. Barbara, you're thinking you of Gigi. <laughs> I am. I think of Gigi scam. Sorry. Yeah, their hey, their heyday. So Sophie's heyday was um, in the 1860s, 70s, and 80s. Okay. So and Marm was already getting caught by the late 1880s. Um, okay. She she was uh, caught by the by the police and put on trial for all her scams, although she did escape. She escaped to she Canada. Did. Yeah. Um, and the Pickerton Detective Agency. Yes, yes. They were both be, uh, being uh, followed by the Pinkerton Detective Agency for a long time. So Sophie was raised as a pickpocket. In, I think that's fascinating. Uh, yeah. In 18... Uh, she was first arrested in 1859 or 60 um, for pickpocketing, but she mm -hmm. had this evil stepmother, and her father was pretty bad, too. He was yeah. a fence, but they trained all of their children to pickpocket, and she first was arrested um, uh, in front of the Barnum's Museum, American Museum, on Broadway and Anna Street, uh, mm -hmm. and there was a group of kids picking pockets, and she... Um, the, she used to have to steal three pickpockets a day. That was her quota, or she would get beaten. She would get beaten. She wouldn't be allowed to enter her house. She would have to sleep on the sidewalk. And um, so, you know, she... How old was she during this? Uh, when did, when did she came start? to... She, they, she came from Denmark. She oh. came to the to the New York from Denmark with her siblings. How many? And I think it was four, mm -hmm. and then one baby infant, which the father had come over uh, okay. with earlier and she was eight years old when she came and probably they when she moved in she met her evil stepmother when they got there um okay. they came on that awful atlantic voyage with just the four kids mm -hmm. um oh no parents no parents oh. no no record of her mother i haven't been to to denmark yet but no record of a mother and her father had already gotten here with the baby infant mary and uh, that they met this lady, Mary Levy, who was their new stepmother, who was really, really, really bad news. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she taught them all, and they lived off the the depredations of the their children on the public. And um, they, uh, she, you know, started, her parents would go to prison, and she'd be off on her own, and she wow. had her own little crew. And then uh, she ended up in the House of Refuge, which was the first reformatory in, in New York New York City and the country actually. Um, it was a pretty bad place too. How bad old was she then? She was twelve. Okay, so um, twelve. She in the House of Refuge is be almost like juvenile detention. Yeah, okay. it was it was juvie. <laughs> yeah, and um, there were a lot of kids who were juvenile delinquents and thieves in New York City at the time. Right. Um, it was a really rough place for children, especially poor children and immigrant poor children. So, 
So you mentioned uh, like a location where all, where she would go every day. It was Broadway and what? She would go all over the place. She would go on the ferries. She would go mm-hmm. on um, the streetcars. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she what better caught. place? Yeah. yeah, she got caught at the Barnum's Museum. But what better place? Anywhere where there's a crowd is right. a great place for pickpockets. Yeah. Um, because pickpock- uh, a crowd is always moving. You're always getting jostled. You can't feel them fan you down for your, yeah. you know, who has a wallet and who has a, you know, stick pin and who has a watch. And, um you just have somebody, you know, you work in a crew, somebody bangs into them, and then the other person, you know, actually that you could walk yourself out of your own wallet, you know, your own your own purse. Yeah. Um, they just have to put their fingers on it. So. Oh, my gosh. And it's also, that, and when you have a crowd, you have, like, multiple eyes on it. It's almost like cheetahs or, like, a, a <laughs> lion pack looking for, like, a wildebeest. They're, they're all, you have, like, you can have six different kids around one person who has no idea. That's right. And um, they're all excited. They're yeah. going. And they're going someplace. They're watching something. How did she get caught? Um, she she there was a, a detective who had been watching because the crime had gone up outside the museum, and he had been watching outside to catch them because no one had been able to catch the pickpockets. Um, I don't know that she was solely responsible for the increase in in uh, <laughs> pickpocketing, but. Uh, he had known her family. He had actually said that he saw her father one time. She was out in front of, um, I can't remember what theater, but he, he was making her work outside the theater, and he had a cane, her father. And she was she was littler, probably 10 or 11, and this detective saw his her father slamming his cane on the floor while she was working to make sure that she was paying attention, that she didn't get distracted, you know? While pickpocketing. Yeah, and then he saw her... And most other people, before she got caught the first time, she was a really pretty little girl. You know, she had gray eyes and long, curly black hair, and she just had a sweet face, and she was a charming little kid. And um, he knew her family. He knew her parents and what what the whole family did for a living and and who they associated with. And and when he saw her that day, he wasn't persuaded by her adorableness (laughs) and she couldn't cry her way out of it. So she actually ended up getting charged. Wow. So she's in... Uh, juvenile juvie at 12 right. and then does she get out yeah she Is got out yeah her mother um some of those kids would get sent out into uh in, indentured servitude oh, from yeah. there right they would what? go and work for farmers yep they would be shipped out of there if they didn't have anybody you know reliable to to pick up pick them up but sophie's mother had been offering uh officials hundreds of dollars uh the whole time she her was incarcerated, yeah, yeah, her stepmother, to get her out. To, so it's possible that she just bought her out. Mm-hmm. But after sometime after that, Sophie met Marm Mandelbaum or became affiliated with Marm Mandelbaum. And Marm was the lady who taught her at this this important time in her life when she's becoming a young woman that, you know, like, like here's a great example of a woman with power, a woman with agency, mm-hmm. and she didn't have much of a voice. She didn't use her voice like Sophie would eventually, which is what I admired yes. so much about Sophie, because criminals didn't. Women and criminals didn't. They stayed in the background, and Marm was good. She was she was what they say, you know, in the military. She was in the rear with the beer and the gear, right? <laughs> she, like, got everything done, and she didn't, didn't want to be out front, right? With, um, uh, no, no criminals did, and women didn't either. Um, but Sophie broke that mold and she, Marm helped her. Marm, you know, talked her, told her, taught her to use what she had 
Um, yeah. You know, you have a lot of sex appeal. And, you know, that's men who have money. That's what they care about. So use it while you got it. <laughs> Good for her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's amazing. So she's, so she's under mom's wing, like, around early adolescence. Then 16, she gets officially caught. And then does anything change for her at 16? Um... I think it was younger than that. Oh, it was sorry. 14 when she went to prison. Could okay. you imagine? Okay. 14 when she went to prison. Yeah, she um uh yeah, she just went she went into prison, she did her time and then she when she got out, um someone that she had met at some point at Blackwells uh named Ned Lyons uh married her shortly thereafter, like was when she was older? around 16. He was Possibly a year or two older, but not much. Oh. They were contemporaries. Oh, cool. Oh, great. And he was on his way to becoming uh, a burglar. Okay. A uh, bank burglar and uh, uh, just, a, a you know, another super thief. And he was handsome and A prominent New York City criminal. That's right. Another <laughs> yeah. one of the old New York uh, City criminals that we, you know, we can't get enough of. Because, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, they just were... They, it's just amazing to think how they lived their lives this way. I and mean, there was a whole crew of them and she knew, she married some of them and she, yeah. you know, she knew them all and she was part of it and she was admired for her skill and, and her, um, she, you know, was on her way to becoming, you know, he would get, end up in jail, right? You know, he mm -hmm. wanted to, she, he wanted her from what I've, I've seen, he wanted her to stay home and raise kids. Yeah. But, you know, first of all, the you know criminals get a, go to jail and she couldn't just rely on him and you know then where would her agency be right she'd just exactly. be waiting around to see what happened to her so she did it she dropped the kid off <laughs> her son poor george who went and yeah. had a rough life but um she dropped her kid off with a nanny a wet nurse or whatever and uh uh she went back to doing what she knew how to do shoplifting and pickpocketing so was that her main thing, the pickpockets and shoplifting? In in the beginning, yeah. uh, it was easy for her, and she always fell back on it, no matter what. Yeah. Um, it, the other things that got more complicated as she got older, and um, you know, she and and uh, Ned ended up in Sing Sing together when she was only you know twenty something, twenty one. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And yeah, and she there was a Sing Sing had a women's prison, and. Um, <laughs> right across from the men's <laughs> prison, and uh, which they closed in 1871, because um, that probably isn't a good idea. And uh, they no. uh, escaped uh, from from Sing Sing together, and That's they were so on the lamb. And she was 21. It was a snowstorm. He picked her up in a sleigh, and oh my god, and uh. busted her out. He had gotten out a week or two earlier, and. Um, then they, he's they like went the, to Canada. He's like the ultimate bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> Picks yeah. her up in prison from a sleigh. From with a sleigh. A sleigh. <laughs> That's right. It's very romantical. But, yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, they went away for uh, to, to Canada. They took off and they were eventually caught again because they couldn't. They uh, She said he had promised her that he was going to uh, give up his life of crime, but know you're good at what you're good at and right. uh, i don't think she could really no no and and he they both went to prison she went for a little bit of time and then she had to make a decision about what her life was going to be next and um she moved on to uh first of all she bought some real estate in detroit which is a smart smart yes. thing to do lady and yeah and but she also started to um go into uh being a con woman, blackmailing and uh, oh, tell con. us more. Yeah. Wait, so Wait, did she break up with Ned? 
Wait, I, yeah, I have a question as well. Where's yeah. George? Where's little baby oh. George? Oh, we'll okay, so all, yeah, well, when no, they that's went a whole to thing. Canada, story, yeah. their children had been deposited in Canada and had gone to a school for, for boys um, and a convent for girls where girls were educated. And the problem was when um, they went to prison, they weren't able to afford to pay the um, tuition for these places. So the kids ended up, one of the kids was, George was an indentured servant, right? He was like cleaning up, he was in rags, cleaning up at the school. And then another, one of her daughters, Florence, ended up getting adopted by a farmer. And she went um, after, this is, they, they were sent back to prison. It was about five or six years later. It wasn't, you know, it was, they, they, they were out. They were out, escaped prisoners for a long time. Um, and then, uh, Oh, so they got so when they got the sleigh happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they got the, went they away were to Canada. in Canada for five or six years. Uh, they weren't in Canada the whole time. I haven't oh. tracked their every, but they were caught again on Long Island. Okay, so they yeah. but they were free for like five to six. They years. They were free for four or five years. Oh, I, wow. I can't remember exactly how many, but yeah, with their kids though. Uh, their so. kids never stayed with them for any extended yeah. period of time. They were always in schools, which okay. she thought was did better than her parents which is true but still was you know they didn't really Not have loved. mother's yeah. love yeah so we got george florence love. any other kids yes they had um mary was the little baby that came over mm-hmm. um her sister uh no not mary i'm sorry uh they had so her kids were florence was was um after george george was the oldest um florence then uh there was another Mary, um, and then there was a Lottie, L-O-T-T-E, and then last, um, who I'm not sure was, uh, she had a couple husbands after mm-hmm. Ned, and by husbands I mean, you know, Partners. not in the legal sense, yeah. but not yeah. husbands, uh, but husbands, yeah, <laughs> yeah. husband, yeah, you know, and then, um, then there was, I, I believe his name was Victor, so the little one was Victor. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, yeah, so a, a uh, bunch of kids, a lot know. of kids she did not love. <laughs> no, left in the left in the sort of the dust, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So then they got so then they were in schools when they got arrested again. Yeah. And then um she she stayed uh Ned stayed in prison longer than her. Mm-hmm. Um cuz they tended to be much more lenient on women, especially mothers, and it you know, it it, it was uh paternalistic, but it definitely was helpful yeah, in her case. Her, yeah. yeah. Um so she got out, she went she did go and rescue her kids. They weren't very grateful for it because they were super pissed at her, as you can imagine. Um, but she went and collected them. She All she them? threatened the yep. She threatened the farmer who had adopted her daughter and said, "Hey, didn't I know you in Detroit? Weren't you um, visiting, you know, houses of ill repute and stuff like that?" Ooh. And uh, you know, she just threatened like them. blackmail. Yeah, she would just threaten that yeah. probably none of it was true, but just right. the fear that a woman, you know, would say, "Come at you like that." Oh, it yeah. was just scary. So um, she she scooped up George and. Um, Florence seemed to live an okay life. Uh, George really just went into, you know, a criminal life, the life sort of like a vagabond, and he he had a tough childhood, yeah. Yeah. But she, um, you know, she was out. Ned was in in prison, and she had to figure out something to do. She said she went to Detroit. She bought property in about 1877. At some point, she developed a morphine habit. Yes, which is very interesting. And I don't have a lot of information because she only talked about it. You know, obviously, she's a, lo- a big old liar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you know, that's my job, right, to go in and figure out what, why people did anything. If I can't, if I can't figure out, you know, what, what 
they def- like the truth. I could right. figure out why they represented what they represented, right? As the truth. So um, she developed this morphine habit, and it seemed like you know she was on her own. She she wanted to. She claimed she wanted to go straight, but she actually went into an office one time to get a job in a real estate office because that was her new gig, and mm-hmm. she. Uh, she they you know she was upfront with them about what she did and they they threw her out in the street and said once a you know crook always a crook and she kind of she um she didn't want to go through that again so she you know started doing what she did best which was just uh pickpocketing shoplifting um and they, she was a known morphine addict at this time and she did get arrested many times she did prison time again um but then she sort of um moved into uh blackmail she had like a blackmail gig going and her target was um uh wealthy men Mm -hmm. older older men yeah (laughs) so are we in detroit or long island well her base is in detroit now okay that's where she has her property but she went everywhere she went everywhere so her kids obviously were deposited or not or wherever they were because most some of them were of age or close to of age you Mm -hmm. know um 16 15 and i just Um, imagine her traveling everywhere by sleigh is that (laughs) no okay no that would be cool i guess she traveled that's a really good question see this makes me think of good things when i talk about this (laughs) it's always scary to go out with a you know with information on a book that's not published yet but i think that i'm being rewarded by like having conversations with people because you get such great questions it always helped me with my book to like try and explain what i was talking about and then I yes. very quickly understood like the thesis of a, a, a paragraph or a chapter. Yes. I was like, oh, because once, and I would even do that while I was writing it with Alan. I'd be like, th- he's like, well, what are you trying to say? And I would say that, and he's like, you have to just put that down. Yes. Yeah. yes. I do have to talk out a lot of my stuff. Writers, yeah, yeah writers, like it, it's really helpful to bounce stuff off. Like, how did they travel? When I did a talk that Caitlin was at, I, I got someone said, well, did she have friends? Like, which is a base. If someone asked me that about myself, I would like sob if I didn't have friends. But she just did not talk about that. That was not a, you know, maybe because of the trust that she had. Yeah, yeah. it's a liability. So, um, but how did she travel? You know, I'm assuming by train, right? By carriage, by, you know, and she probably like robbed the whole way, <laughs> the whole way back. Yeah. But, but well, she. Wouldn't that be such a great, like. It's such a great gig, though. You get on a first-class train. You have drunk business people. You walk by pickpocket. If she's charming and beautiful, she can sort of, like, do the Leonardo DiCaprio to go to any, like, level of the train. Exactly. <laughs> Titanic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, that's my reference. Uh, yeah. And but, then um, the train sinks into the ship, and then they get the diamond. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, perfect. So they get it. they yeah. live happily after. after. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, like, that to me if i was her i would definitely do by train yeah there's more pockets Uh, there's more opportunities right like on on your way there on Mm -hmm. your way back um but so she traveled all around the country she would sort of base herself at hotels and it seemed like she had partners in doing this and it also seemed like she met a man named hamilton brock who was sort of like a sportsman you know like one of those uh sporting guys uh he was uh he was into horse racing and but he also you know, was it ha- involved in a lot of crime. He was based out of Boston, but he um, he somehow met her, and she one of her biggest you know scams that she was caught for ended up in Boston. And she, um, but she was going around around Detroit. She was in Columbus, Ohio. She mm-hmm. was in St. Louis, and she would go to a hotel, pick her target. Then it was multiple targets in the same place because the, the way they know is um, she w- what she would do is she would go into the hotel and she would 
uh, pick her target, invite them to come and meet her at the hotel because she had business to do. She wanted to buy property, whatever. She was a widow with children. And um, she always looked really good. Mm -hmm. So she always could pass. And she had really great manners. And it seemed like she had studied the manners of wealthy people. Yeah. At some point. A lot of scam artists we know have done that. Yeah. And it's, um, I would like to know where she did, but that's like brilliant. It's a lot of watching. That's the scam artists that we study. It's just watching for hours. Really? Yes. We have to talk more about that. You pick it up. Because there wasn't TV or anything like that. So it was either. Was she literate at this time? She was. And she didn't learn to read till she was 25. Right. So around this time she was. Because I think she was getting on in her 30s is. Or yeah. her late her late twenties when and she decided to be when she was like had to blackmail. start yeah, yeah she had to figure out a new thing to do because she didn't yeah. have a husband to go around with her so she um she would uh, have them meet her and then she would <laughs> one man uh, he was an elderly man um, in Boston a lawyer and by elderly he was like sixty but apparently he looked kind of he was a little rough looking um, a drunk people 60. yeah <laughs> a, drunk, a, a, a hard sixty yeah <laughs> yeah uh, road hard and put away wet sixty but he um, so he came to the room and he said that she was so alluring and enticing and you know he she suggested that he take his clothes off so that they could lay down because it was warm or I don't remember why, Mm -hmm. but um, they could get comfortable. And so he like really did it right away. And before (laughs) she was sort of taking her things off very slowly, but before he could, you know, go anywhere with it, she picked his clothes up and threw them in a trunk. And before that she used to throw them out the window because there would be someone there. And the reason they know she would do multiple jobs in one spot was because this guy who owns like a cigar shop or something downstairs said he kept seeing people pantaloons flying out the window, <laughs> you know, multiple times. And then someone would come and collect them. But um, yeah, so she would demand money from them. And the the guy, the, this guy, his name was Charles Allen. He said that, Allen, yeah. he said that she she took off like three silk robes and then stepped out in like a full suit of like street clothes and was ready to go yeah. and she apparently had obtained some of his checks ahead of time as well yeah. <laughs> and he was surprised to see and um he wrote a check she wanted ten thousand and they agreed upon one thousand which i'm not sure what that was then yeah. but it was a lot and um he apparently didn't have that much in the bank he almost did um but, you know, for lots of other reasons, the bankers, um, like, caught her. So she she had to, she was, she stood trial for it for the first time. And it was really interesting. And wasn't it that, like, with all of this, he still was super humiliated? Yes. He was, the, I remember in your talk, Barbara did an amazing talk about this that I got to Thank geek you. out over. Um, <laughs> but he was he didn't even though she got caught in this he didn't actually win because he was so humiliated that he was with this um woman with a bad reputation that's right and that he had to sort of come clean and say she did this to me also made him look like very foolish yeah um and she made it that way she used she at some point um and i'm you know i I think i pegged when it when it started when she realized like this was the way to do things but she um, always spoke out in the papers, the newspapers, which is why she's such an interesting person to do biography on. Because I always know what she was thinking, or at least wanted people to know what she was thinking. Because she was in the newspapers for like forty years, which criminals typically don't. And women, like you never, yes. you never hear about that. Um, so she would just. Oh, sorry. Go Wait. Ahead, so her scan. So 
the way it worked was she would throw their clothes out the window and be or like, in a trunk. She locked them in a trunk. This guy's. Yeah. The clothes or the man? The clothes. The clothes. The clothes. Yeah, okay. and then she left him in the hotel room and locked it from the outside. Oh, and, said, and she you would have be to write me checks. Yeah, you can't get out get until you back. write me a check. That's right. That was the blackmail part of it. I think also Barbara, I might be totally wrong, but she said that she would humiliate these people and yes. like report them. She ended up doing it anyway. Yeah, yeah. But that was part of the threat to be like, I'll tell your business That's right. worker, I'll tell your families, and so then they would definitely pay up this free fee for like protection exactly. but then because she had this like sudden shift on wanting to be a sort of a fame artist famous um scam notorious, artist, notorious yeah. really so she still you know would release the story yeah or... she would claim that they were lovers mm -hmm. um even though apparently you know no one had seen this elderly gentleman in the company of a woman who wasn't one of his sisters in the past like decade or something but she was saying that he was a a drug addict and an alcoholic and she, every day in the papers he would open up the papers and see some other stuff that she was saying about him and she actually um was gaining public support uh one a reporter went around town asking like waiter girls and and women on the, and men on the street what they thought and and they said uh they said oh he should be hanged how dare he go you know to a woman's hotel room and um, you know, exactly. like a victim. Yeah, she she's, she was sort of a soiled dove that he was using her, and if he had given her money, that was his choice, and she deserved it. And um, it ended up that you know he was she was excoriating him in the papers every day and uh, for a few days, and then it's actually suspected that he paid her bail just to get her you know the hell out of there. So talking. you know, yeah, to, to humiliate him. So she, it, what what she threatened to do, she ended up doing anyway just because he had the nerve to <laughs> to report her to the police. Well, she got caught and he, you know, he testified against her and she didn't appreciate that. No. Yeah. And she was she was not acquitted, but there was a, it was a hung jury. They they I think four for uh guilty and then the other seven were not guilty or it might have even been closer. She was very close to actually, go, you know, going to prison. But, you know, she always thought she could either buy her way out of there or and she did most of the time, you know, before it ever got to um, trial, you know, she could buy her way out of it. It was kind of. Yeah, it sort of was like how maybe I'm getting confused. How like oh, maybe wait, was, was it that her parents were in jail and they would sort of take care of their kids from jail like so she sort of learned that from her parents well when she she was their meal ticket so when she yeah. got to jail they would offer money up for her right uh, yeah. i'm sorry that's what i was trying to say so like right. she learned that from her parents that yep. it was just like a temporary stay somebody exactly. was going to get you out somebody could be paid off yeah and everybody's crooked yes everybody's if, crooked. if you learn that when you're young like that's really how you're forming who you are absolutely she was a product of uh you know her her upbringing mm -hmm. and her surroundings for sure where in New York did she grow up? Uh, her first apartment in, in records, uh, in public records, I think it was Carmine Street. It was like 12 Carmine Street mm -hmm. or something. So in the village. Yeah. And was that the, um, Marm said when she moved to Canada, she really missed the like underbelly and the crooks. It was like something street where all the criminals hung out. Yeah. I think she was Clinton Street and that was yeah. Lower East Side. Mm -hmm. And um, Sophie's father had some kind of store with all kinds of stuff that everyone stole. <laughs> he was yeah. a fence. That, that was on, I forget the street that it was on, but it was in the Lower East Side too. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it was like this little community and I remember reading that Marm said she, the only thing she missed about being wow. exiled to Canada was this 
her people yeah. and like she really created that world and i feel yeah. like sophie was just a part of that she lived in little germany Marm, it was called little germany yeah. i think we, i forget the name but it was the name in german but yeah that was a that was her community mm-hmm. yeah she ruled it you mm-hmm. know she was queen so okay so sophie marm was marm was yeah, yeah. um so when so sophie learned from marm moved on is now doing these so sh- when she deals with that one guy um what happens afterwards well she skipped off on her bail and didn't show up of course. and they it was hard to fi- figure out who she was so you know because you just say you know um, my name's susan patterson or whatever um and uh finally police around the country started putting stuff together that this was the this was the menace that we did were she, yeah. we were, were dealing with. Did she change her image? Did she like get change hair anything like Yes. She um there were other scams that she had learned from European women. Um mm-hmm. there was this one scam that was like a wealthy widow of a doctor and she this woman in I think it was in, in England and so tr- Sophie ended up traveling around the world to <laughs> with men <laughs> to, to, to pull, and women to pull you know to pull more more scams and steal. Um and she this this wealthy widow um would sell the same you know uh dead doctors uh ex-clients his practice so she would sell it over and over again to to doctors who would buy it and um so she learned that so she did that a few times she would pick you just pick a dead doctor in the in the obituaries yeah and she would then offer to sell his she would claim to be the wife offer to sell the practice to another doctor so you would have multiple practices and i think sophie did that a couple of times she also posed as a widow and what she would do is she would get a carriage um like a fancy carriage and she would get some people who worked with her some men um, who were sneaks, which means you would go into a bank or a jewelry store or something and just like sneak behind the counter and or mm-hmm. whatever you could do. So what she would do is pose as a wealthy widow, be in this fancy carriage with these attendants, and and uh, her one of her men would go in and say she's really rich and wants to buy something, but she's very ill. So she would wear a wig and she would wear you know some kind of Mm-hmm. powder to make her look old and wrinkly and yeah and a yeah. veil she was always heavily veiled so it was hard to identify her many times same um she loved a veil <laughs> yeah one time she was leaving she was caught and was in the car with the with the police the carriage with the police and they one of the detectives uh testified that she asked him for morphine and a veil <laughs> i love when it he, yeah she when she's she when wants. he said no to when he said no to both, he said she pulled out some lace and like made a really respectable looking heavy veil out of it own. herself. Yeah, yeah, she crafted it. So she it was, was a like crafter. the original like um like stocking <laughs> burglar <or> stocking. Yes. <laughs> it right, yeah. exactly. Same idea. So good. Um, yeah. Oh, so she's so they come up to you were telling the story that she goes right. To a, so she a they would come store. up to the the, the clerk for, would come in from the jewelry store or the bank or whatever and come out to do business with into her into the carriage into the carriage okay. and depending you know they always case the joint ahead of time so they knew how how who was there when who when where. people went to lunch and stuff like that so while she was entertaining guy looking at jewels or talking about stocks. Um, one of her guys would run in the bank or run into the jewelry store and grab as much as he could wow. and then sneak out and wait mm. for the guy to go back in and then they would take off. That's brilliant. Wow. Yeah. That is smart. Yeah, yeah. she had a lot of scams. Uh, what uh, She was credited by, um, I don't know if it was the Pinkertons, but uh, somebody with like the false bottom shoe and the false bottom trunk. 
Oh, so that? your heel, like, you know, a hollow heel where you could store jewels or the, a false bottom, you know, to a trunk so that you can, when she went to uh, Europe um, and she stole, she would, she would hobnob with the socialites and um, would, you know, switch bags with them and do all, you know, all oh. kinds of stuff. And whatever she stole, she would stick in a hollow bottom trunk so that when she came over, you know, they couldn't search her. Wow. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. She was great. Yeah, she and, had a million of them, right? Yeah. And she, so she was a student of Marm, but she kind of turned against her, right? And like outed her? Well, um, when years later she reformed. She became um, a snitch. <clears throat> she wasn't a snitch, but. <laughs> oh, I thought she was. No. What happened was um, there were. Uh, there were a lot of these narratives of criminals, right? And um, mostly men. She was one of the few women. Her and Chicago May was another one. And um, what they did was they would tell that they would tell a little bit of their life story, but they would tell a lot of inside baseball about a lot of other crimes. So I don't consider that snitching. I just consider that, hey, this is all the stuff I know about how people did these really she cool things. Names? She did name names, but mm. these people were long gone, either oh, okay. dead or had served their crimes. She didn't she didn't tell on she didn't out Any anyone. Active ones. Mm -mm. Oh, okay. So No, she in fact somebody from Pinkerton I read said that she never snitched on anyone. She didn't oh. snitch. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So. Dead yeah, snitching. A little bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Senior snitches. That's why you write Sne about dead people because they can't sue I you. I love it. Yeah. Senior snitches. <laughs> yes. Or yourself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So yes. this, she, so I'm trying to go back. I want to make sure. So now she's traveling all over the country. She's going to Europe. She's going out of the country. Mm -hmm. And does she have a new husband now? Where are yeah. her kids? So, and she's like in her 30s. Um, this is before reforming. Yeah, this is before reforming. So by the 80s, she would have been 40, right? 1880. Apparently, yeah, this is mm -hmm. like 1878 to 1880 something. So, um, yeah, she would have been in her late 30s, I guess. And she apparently was very, she looked pretty young she was mm -hmm. well preserved she had like a baby face which was very yeah she almost. had a sweet face um she um she was jewish and they constantly commented on her mm -hmm. you know she was an attractive jewess and stuff like that <laughs> Same they with constantly mom. mom was jewish but they did the race like the yeah mean things, they said the, the mean things about her and they said she looked jewish but in you know in, in mean a in jewish. a mean way but, yeah, but, but for about sophie, sophie yeah, yeah they said you yeah. know she had dark hair and she was um but you know she was she was beautiful and um, she never really talked about being Jewish until she got older. Mm -hmm. um, I think she just didn't want anyone to know anything about her. I think well, she yeah. liked that, except yeah. what she told them, which was always lies. <laughs> you know, she never said that she was from Denmark until uh, the end of her life. She never um, said that she was Jewish until the end of her life. Wow. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, she so she her second husband was a very very famous. 
uh, bank burglar and safe cracker named Jim Brady. Not Diamond Jim Brady, who was a different guy. Um, this is a guy named Jim Brady who was from his, he was also known as Albany Jim or Jem, J E M, mm-hmm. Brady. Um, and he was, he was just really, uh, you know, uh, a crook's crook. And he was very, <laughs> you know, much admired. And he went all around Europe with her, uh, you know, Cracking stealing seeps. and doing scams. <laughs> yeah, doing scams. He did. A, he was involved in a lot of big bank jobs. Um, and they lasted for a few years. And then her last husband, which was in the late 80s and 90s, and then until he died in 1914, she, he was nine years younger than her. And mm-hmm. his name was Billy Burke. They used to call him Billy the Kid. I guess he was the pre-Billy the Kid, Billy the Kid. Okay. Um, but he was a jewel thief. He also was a bank burglar, too. Um, but he was a jewel thief. He was, And he kept stealing, you know, going all around. And she, it seemed, was involved in some of it, even though she had said she was reformed. This was early in her reformation when uh-huh. she was kind of like, mm, I am, I'm not, I am, I'm Sticking not. Sticking a toe in. Yeah, 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 just testing it out. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so... Uh, she really was, um, she really, she always had a man. Yeah. She always had she a man, knew that. Sophie. And when she, so she started in her 20s, sort of like released that information to the papers about that first guy from mm-hmm. the hotel, mm-hmm. something else. That was in her, that was not, that was well past 20s. That 20s, was, okay. that was like late 30s, mid to okay. late 30s, yeah. Late 30s. So is she, did she like get a feeling for that fame? Was she continuing to release information or tell her story in the papers? Even though she was still doing crime, yeah, yeah, she—I I fa- I thought I remember like she got like a hunger for that fame. Yeah, it really suited I, her. I think that yeah, she liked. It was really incredible uh, when I finally realized that, like how unique it was mm-hmm. that she was that she had a voice, a public voice as a woman, while also being a criminal. Yeah, <laughs> and as a criminal, and and she kind of was, you know, she was in a lot of the papers she was in a lot of the yellow journalism at the time that was sensationalistic and she was just like a perfect character for it um you know her ex-attorney who was one of the biggest crooks ever was uh william howe from howe and hummel if you if you should read about howe and hummel if you haven't they were the two most crooked attorneys at the time they were more mendelbaum's attorneys of course (laughs) and they william howe wrote a story about uh a two-part story in the Na- the National Police Gazette, which was a real, real, um, you know, sensationalistic <laughs> inquirer mm-hmm. of the of its time in New York City, and it um, it called her the Princess of Crime, and this was wow. in the the eight the mid to late eighties when this started. What a compliment for her, though. Yeah, or maybe it was even the nineties. Yeah, it was when she was really solidified. Like yeah. she was she and she she just loved it. She would write. Um, she started giving lectures in the, by the 90s when she was already I guess how old would she be I guess in towards her 50s yes, almost late her 40s. late 40s 50s and she um would go around giving lectures about prison when she hadn't really reformed 100% herself and she also started um she also started like when she went to Europe she went to Paris she came back and wrote a syndicated column for the Detroit News about Paris's underworld and wow. um, yeah, and and some other underworld cities that she had explored, and I, you know, I don't know if she had written them herself, but based on you know her book, it seemed to be the same voice. Okay. So you know, maybe she did, or maybe she didn't. Um, I wouldn't be surprised though. I wouldn't be surprised if she did. So yeah, she's really turning this into being sort of like the first criminal celebrity. 
yeah. in a way. Uh, like like a very powerful criminal, obviously, um, very independent, but really turning it into a celebrity, which I do think America is fascinated with. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the idea of like, we always talk about the, the land of opportunity, making it here. And I think, especially during that early time in the 1800s, everybody was trying to be successful. It didn't really, you know, you wanted to do, I guess there's like a probably a sense of, you know, religion and right and wrong, but everybody is just trying to get by. So there is also this fascination of like, well, how did this person do it? And she's successful and she still, she got pulled into jail and she got in trouble, but she's still going. That's right. So it's like this American feeling of like persistence as well. It's Mm -hmm. right. It's a very American story. Um, And, you know, it sort of even transcends it because it's a woman who really cared about power and maintaining her voice, and right? Image. And her image, her notoriety. Yeah. She got off on her notoriety. Yeah. And she um, she came around slowly to use it for good eventually. Was but she like 70 years old? Like <laughs> she was, yeah, she was pushing her 70s when she finally, um, she was in her 60s when she finally wrote her autobiography. And then it was pretty clear that you know, she, she was giving a lot of money away. Um, she was speaking on behalf of prisoners. She um, she had a fight with her neighbors. Uh, she had multiple, you know, properties now, and she had started a home for uh, um, uh, African American orphans. Wow. And they were trying to throw them out, her neighbors, because of the zoning rules or something. Mm. And she actually, yeah, they they filed an injunction to keep her from continuing. To, she was renting it to them, right? Uh-huh. So she, she was still making money, but, yeah. you know, uh, in a way that her neighborhood was really upset about, and she didn't care. She fought them, mm-hmm. and the orphan, you know, the, the African-American orphan stayed there. And I think it was also a maternity uh, home for, for African-Americans, too. Wow. Um, yeah. And wow. she uh, fought against the death penalty, Um at the Michigan State House, she spoke against it, and it was um, Michigan didn't have it for a long time. It was one of the first states not to have it, but they were thinking, you know, there was a rise in crime, and they were trying to get it back again. Um, the, the electric chair this time, and this mm-hmm. was in the twenties, and um, she was she and another criminal stood up before the house and spoke, and it was it the the bill failed, wow. so and they've never had it since. So it's mm-hmm. so interesting, like her desire for notoriety and for attention really shifted. And she actually just sort of like rode that current. Like yep. she's like, okay, now everybody is going to look at me as this saintly mother. And that's what I'm going to put it all into. That's right. I wonder if like, because in her 60s and 70s, like she felt like her sexuality was no longer her item of power. Right. And then she could be sort of like a mother figure and like a Mother Teresa figure and yeah. save people. There are a lot of... I mean, also she might want to help people. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just thinking like her angles. Yeah, um, I think it was a lot of things, you know, that was the, I, I mentioned, I said it was like the edge rounding effects of age, right? Yeah. But yeah, there also is the the, the sexual, you know, the, the power that you have. Mm-hmm. That change. Right, that, that changes. And um, also the, Crime was changing. Mm. So in her time, it was the time of the aristocrats of crime, right? These are the professional criminals in America. Okay. The, they, they came up after the Civil War, and they were 
uh, they sort of modeled themselves after the professions like lawyers and bankers and they wore fancy clothes and they had uh, t you know they had tools of their trade you yeah. know like safe crackers and um, you know there were also these corporations that had stocks to steal and then these department stores that were coming up that had mm -hmm. stuff to steal yeah. and so it was just the perfect time for that as the century went on she sort of um, read the writing on the wall because crime became more violent and it was um it wasn't you know people were more desperate um they were younger more men doing it so it became um it wasn't you know more people the like professional. clamoring to get yeah to yeah get by right to, to sort, of sort of strong like arm right yeah. strong arm their way or shoot their way mm -hmm. and um she was not down for that no. and it she it was the perfect time for her to you know use her experiences and her knowledge to, um, it was a way to keep relevant, but she also did a lot of good, you right. know, and I think it intentionally. Mm. Wow, that's so crazy. So, yeah, it's just so interesting. So did she, her children at this point, is what was happening with George? Is this, oh, well, is, Did George. she get reformed after George? Yes, okay. she was still in the thick of it when George, um, George went to the House of Refuge just like she did. Mm -hmm. George went to prison just like she did. He was he would run around with gangs, and uh, he was a really small kid. Um, was he very emotionally? Yes, he was yeah. very emotionally disturbed. Um, he had a horrible, you know, upbringing, horrible childhood. Life, yeah. yeah, he um, he was. There was a scene where she drug him into court in New York City uh, when he was about fourteen, I think. And he was wearing rags, and she said that he was sleeping in the streets and singing in saloons. And she wanted to try and convince the court to commit him to a school. And she was willing to pay for it, um, but she needed the court to commit him, apparently. And he, you know, s they had this fight in front of the court that was, you know, written about in the New York Times and the Herald, Tribu the Herald Tribune and, and uh, the Sun. And it talked about he said you you're you're my mother yet you're trying to get rid of me all the time you run around the country with all these men and steal and lie and um he was so mad at her he was shaking his fist in her face and um you know after after she, you know he said that that to her about you know men and uh she slapped him across the face really hard and the judge was just disgusted with everything and said, you know, you're, we're sending him to the House of Refuge. And, and Sophie was like, that's not what I meant. I didn't want him to go to the House of Refuge. It's a bad, bad place. Mm -hmm. And the judge said to her, well, he's a bad, bad boy. Wow. Um, and, and it just went downhill from there for him. He, uh, he uh, took a knife and went at one of the guards, and he ended up inadvertently slicing the tips of his left hand off, fingers off yeah. um yeah could you imagine and yeah. and you know he was released and then ended up going to prison uh to this reformatory called elmira for boys in new york where they tried to do some sort of reformation of them they had religious training and education and as well as labor hard labor but um he he didn't do well there too although they wrote a lot about him um, because he was really smart and he had so much potential and there was good in him, one mm -hmm. of his teachers said, 
but he just there was so much you know going so against them yeah he was just terribly troubled yeah and he ended up going uh he got bounced out of there he aged out of there and um went to auburn prison where he died a few months later of pneumonia and uh jim brady before he hooked up with his mother was actually in auburn prison with him and another crook they offered to pay for his for a first class funeral for him but wow. the prison turned him down and he you know who knows what kind of burial he had he was buried and his mother didn't come she just sent wreaths apparently but you know it was a, it was just heartbreaking because it you read in it like they said so many amazing things about him like he could have been a lawyer he yeah. had a legal mind he was he was had so much potential but he was just too troubled and no opportunity yeah no yeah it, well they just said he was he had bad in him they thought Ooh. that you were a criminal by inheritance right you, okay. you were a criminal by heredity uh and that there was no chance for him you know um so that was really sad. Another of her kids, Florence, the the she may have been the yeah she I think she was the second oldest. She um she ended up having a big fight with her mother in the papers in the early in Detroit in the early uh, 1900s. She was uh, she was she married a drunk and was had a he broke her arm and she was had a five year old little girl Florence and she was uh, an organ grinder on the street for pennies yeah. and Sophie because Florence was said such bad things about Sophie Sophie just couldn't be bothered you know to, to rescue to her to not help her yeah mm -hmm. wow yeah. what happened to Florence uh, well it seems like Sophie must have helped Florence at some point um, she referred to her in the papers as a perfumed vagrant <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> means but uh uh, she, um, she ended up okay. Uh, Sophie did give her, uh, money when she died mm -hmm. in her inheritance and she gave some to the other children, but most of the money that she left when she, she was, um, she died in 1924 after she wrote her autobiography and gave a lot of her money, a lot of money away. She still had what was about 3 million in today's dollars wow. left, which is pretty amazing, right? Um, who knows how She's much of it was ill-gotten gains, but yeah. she was, yeah, she was, she was impressive and she was an entrepreneur and she, um, gave, uh, in addition to her children, she gave a lot of money to, uh, to, uh, establish the, a home for the children of prisoners, right? Which made wow. me think like, you know, she's thinking of herself cause she was herself was the child of prisoners, but right. her son, George, how much he really, really, really suffered because of what she, the choices she made and what so she did. You th yeah. Do you think his fall was really like a shift for her because she went from so many shifts clearly. I mean, she's had so, she's like Madonna. <laughs> she's had so many transformations. <laughs> she's really like the 1800s Madonna. Um, and she, so yeah, George really falling and passing away. Um, did she, what, did she ever write about regret of that or like how she was as a mother? What did she, did, was she writing at that time? Because I know she, I know she was constantly publishing. Yeah, which was so interesting. You she really published a lot her. of stuff, yeah. which was interesting. She was talking mostly. She was right. she was cited in the in the papers and in you know legal documents. Mm -hmm. She had she had lots to say in the courts and stuff. Um, did she talk about her shift? She didn't. Uh, she didn't talk about. Uh, she did talk about her. You know, sh her deciding to do good, but she didn't. She didn't talk about George. Mm -hmm. She didn't talk about being addicted to morphine. 
Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure like a lot of that happened at the same time though, from what Mm -hmm. I can tell. Um, and the, the fact that at the end and, and when she was, when she died, they were thinking that she may have been murdered by criminals. She was trying to reform in Detroit. (laughs) I know it never ends with her. She just, she's always got to go out with a bang. But, um, you know, the fact that she was, that George was on her mind, I think when she, you know, gave her, you know, wanted to make sure that the, a lot of her money went to the children of, of prisoners, that it had a big, big effect on her, that she really, you know, what she did talk about was she always tried to do the best for her children. She did better than her parents, but you know, uh, I, that had to weigh heavy on her. Um, and, uh, yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. I, yeah, I just think it's so fascinating because she did a full shift. I think I thought, I thought, I probably read that wrong. I thought that she went against Marm and everybody was really mad at her for turning on them and like turning everybody in, but that's not the case. No, when she, um, when she wrote her book, she, yeah, she wasn't particularly nice to Marm. She wasn't really mm-hmm. nice to anyone. She just was just like, well, you know, this is what these people did. It was sort of bragging, like not even humble bragging. It was bragging about like, look at all this cool stuff we all did. Right, and then like her style. Yeah. yeah. And it was very much the style of criminal narratives at the time. Yeah. You told everything you knew. Right. And that that gave you that you had power credit, because, yeah, because yeah, you knew all these you knew all the ins and outs of other crimes that happened. And, um, but yeah, she wasn't kind to her. She called her fat and ugly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she probably thought, you know, man, maybe she wasn't that great. Maybe right. somebody who has a school of crime isn't all that great. You yeah. know, um, maybe she was just another person who took advantage of me. Right. Um, but she never said that. What she just said was like, look at how smart this lady was and all the stuff she did. And yeah, she wasn't, that attractive but um but yeah she didn't meet a happy end which was the point of everything um and i don't know that she met a happy end though either although yeah although i think she was pretty you know proud that she kept she kept relevant she had her side of the story out all the time and actually at the end of her life some there was, I forget what the guy's name, but he was a, a detective in New York City. And he said, you know, my hat's off. He wrote a, a piece on her. My hat's off to Sophie Lyons. You know, she's somebody I believe could have done anything. And she did a, you know, she did bad things, but I believe that she's reformed and, and I'm, I'm impressed with all the good things that she's doing. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like she just wanted to make an impact. Like yeah. what her ability was as a child was pickpocketing or she'd get beaten up like that was how she learned and then uh men was making an impact and then now i mean at the orphanage and the home for children with parents in prison like those that's a very impactful like yeah. she actually did like hit the nail on the head of what was needed at that time yeah yeah she did she wanted um yeah she definitely wanted to make an impact i never thought of it that way um and then also like have proof of it. We so a lot of the scam artists we've covered like do <laughs> the current ones want to have like a documentary crew following them oh. around. <laughs> like we just talked about Anna Delphi. She had a cinematographer documentary documentarian documentary documentarian documentarian what? go follow her to a vacation because she's like you'll never know I'm gonna sell this. Then um, 
the fire festival guy had people following him just doing whatever he was doing so they they do want to be sort of celebrities yeah and elizabeth holmes yes yeah in all of this wow and it's sort of this interesting thing of like it it's not just our time right now you know in 2019 it for forever these there is something about like being a con artist is it you want to be glamorized and yeah. notorious yeah and it's not shying into the corners because that's different than a thief no like a thief and a pickpocket you sneak and then you hide yep but people like sophie and people like anna like they just they want to be front and center it's a and mindset this con yes. artistry it's a mindset and yeah. they want to be ad. they want to be idealized for what they do they want to be like admired admired and then you know it is a shift like if they reform they are going to make it as not not that sophie did this but i've seen other like con artists if they do make a change they're going to make it as um vocal as possible so that everybody can see this extreme change that they did and then they get attention for that other wow see i'm glad i came here because that (laughs) that's like that's well i think it's a lot of like the exterior is really big for these con artists Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever age wherever they are it's what they're trying to achieve is something that they don't have. And so then how the public opinion is of them at all times really matters on right. both sides. Mm-hmm. Totally. Right. Yeah. If she had stayed home and been a mother or whatever else was available to women then, like a teacher or a, uh, you it's know, laundry infamous. or cigar roller or a prostitute. Yeah. It's yeah. very anonymous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like uh, right now, Anna Delphi, um, who's, famous for her cons uh she is very excited about who's going to play her in the netflix documentary because it doesn't matter if you're in jail you still want your public image wow. to grow i'll press this good press crazy? it really is <laughs> yes i think that yeah i think she definitely felt that way like yeah there's no no such thing as bad bad press because mm-hmm. she could turn it into whatever she wanted and she that's, did maybe that's what anna's thinking too and elizabeth I holmes i think is certainly thinking totally that. yes so Caitlin has a question. So I just have one question. In researching this woman, did you learn any, whether it be like tricks on how to convince people or things or just learned about like being vocal yourself or did you, is there anything that you... Are there any in, tips we can take forward with us? Into yes, yes. That's really a good question, Caitlin. And I, I, I like that because... So, well, what I learned about was storytelling, first of mm. all. Not from Sophie although she can tell a good story, obviously. But I learned about how, um, like, you have to have a character who wants something in the beginning and then show the transformation at the end, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that's really, like, the purpose of story. So I did learn that, and that was really an important thing for me to learn because I didn't necessarily know that. I was a researcher my whole life, so I'd be like, here you go, journalist yeah Yeah. go go to town go write and interview people and stuff um so i you know i i taught myself um and i had some really great help from colleagues and friends about storytelling um but in terms of her i mean you know i i i learned so much about um you know she about how lucky we are to have uh a voice Mm -hmm. right um like a passion to, to a, a skill that you have, right? And hers was um, 
I guess misapplied, right? But she it was she was, she was working with what she ha- had, yeah. right? She got to be the best of the worst, right? Yeah. And then she really made something of it at the in the end, right? So she she was that kind of person, you know. So I learned that. Um, I uh, what else did I learn? How do you um, feel about Sophie? Like it's so interesting because oh. you could easily look at her and be like, ugh. You know, she's a criminal. This, that, like yeah. everybody nowadays. I guess there's so much information in the world. Everybody's pretty black and white. Yeah. But how how do you feel about Sophie? Well, I do admire her. I have to say, yeah. I admire her because, um, you know, I also got when I was writing this. I, it was originally a thesis, and I got to read a lot about, um, you know, feminist biography and uh, telling women's stories and even criminal women's stories and how important they are to help women realize alternate paths right in life right and and it doesn't even it's not like go be a criminal it's just like there are different ways that you can handle things right that aren't the way that men do right yeah because we always get to learn it's like um you know i i used it as a an analogy that you know it it hurts our hearts when they test all the all the medicines and do all the medical research on men and they don't you know do it on women that actually like impacts us and it's the same way when we don't hear women's stories mm-hmm. we haven't heard you know all these generations and generations of women women's stories that have been lost so um you know she what i did learn was when she was alive she never let anyone forget her place in the history of crime right yeah. or in history in general and i thought it was really like a worthwhile thing to do to really proud of yeah yeah to accomplishment exactly she felt like she had professional skills that she brought to the table and that you know um that don't undersell it yeah yeah ignore it yeah yeah and um yeah the fact that i could could help like reintroduce her um as part of the you know old new york and crime which we are so fascinated with um so i i learned that and that that meant a lot to me too, um, to to think about, um, you know, make sure that you 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 have a voice, that you use it, that you, um, yeah, I yeah, like the whole else. person. Yeah. yeah, I think that like she's like such an example, and really you could look at her career as the example of like yeah. she does the whole spectrum. Yeah, and I think she also like it seemed with her representation of herself she wanted people to see she did the whole spectrum yeah she was proud of that too she was she was proud of a lot of what she did um i do feel terrible for her children right um you know and it it just also affected me that no one really talked about what a bad job her husbands did you know or her husband at least did that they talked about her in pay in the newspapers like what a shitty mother she was and okay. they no one ever said that about right. her husband who right. was an sh- equally shitty parent right yeah or um, non-existent yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um and you know there's a lot to be said for someone like the potential of of humans and of women you know who someone who went through so much stuff and overcame so much stuff and was so resilient you know it really is a story of resilience and redemption um and it has so many ties with you know modern ties like uh incarceration right and um uh addiction and uh you know just like a, a like a women's pu- voice in the public realm you know all that stuff about mary beard and how the gamers you know mm-hmm. you know how women are treated uh 
when they have a public voice, mm. they use their public voice. Mm-hmm. So there's so many, you know, th- things that that resonated with me. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, she's definitely not all bad. Um, okay. This makes me really want to speak to Frank, Frank Abagnale now because I always love that story. Catch, catch me if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, just to get, you know, to talk to him Is about he alive? her. I don't. I think he is definitely. Mm-hmm. I think he's still I'm alive. I'm sure you could reach out. Yeah, there. I know I could. He yeah. probably would be be into it. And be flattered. To yeah, talk. yeah. I, I would. I would like to talk to him about this. Um, but we. I mean, we're. It's endlessly fascinating what you guys are talking thank about. You. Like what your topic is. Yeah. I well, it. thank you so much, Barbara. We really appreciate Barbara, it. This was such a treat. Yes. Thank you. So I loved it. I learned a lot as well. You really Just brought our podcast up to this amazing oh. level. <laughs> Academic. Uh, so fancy, fancy, <laughs> and smart. Uh, it's so my pretty. pleasure. So, Barbara, are you? Um, if people want to reach out or connect to you, mm-hmm. what's best? Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. It's at Barb Gray with an A Y. Yeah. Great. Oh, guys, she's the best. <laughs> she's our family favorite. <laughs> we love Barbara. Yeah. The um, Allens are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so if you guys, we love you listeners as well. If you have any questions, you want to contact us, we always have our hot tip hotline, which is my favorite thing because no one uses the phone anymore. And the number is 347-509-9414. You can call us. You can tell us if you've been scammed. Give us a hot take. Um, also, always slide into our DMs on Instagram. I'll respond to every single person. Yeah, and you can always email us at scamwowpodcast at gmail.com. And rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening to us if you have something nice to say. That would be great. Only nice. <laughs> We're too sensitive, guys. We're very sensitive <laughs> ladies. We're very sensitive ladies. Um, and thank you to our producer, Caitlin. Yes. And Barbara for coming in. And yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.